Good morning. Apparently, I'm one of those pagans that lost their power. So let's hear for the pagans in the room. Anybody else who lost the, their power? Apparently not God's favorites and everything. Uh, my son, uh, Ryan, he's, he's 14, and uh, he was, he's the first townie in our family is what he is. Uh, and so he's never known anywhere else. And we've lost our power before, but never for more than like five or six hours. So like, like on day three, he was like, Dad, has this ever happened like in the history of the world? Like how do we... Like, I haven't been able to charge my, like, cell phone in forever. And, like, <laughs> like this is the end of the world. I, like, I, I think Jesus is coming back soon. Like, this is, this is horrible. Um, and uh, anyway, I'm, I'm glad you guys are, are here. Normally, the 930 service is one of the fullest services of the weekend, uh, except apparently on Time Change Sunday. So all of you guys, extra pastries in the lobby after church. Come on, give it up for ourselves. Yes. Yes. That's only because there's nobody else to take them from you. We didn't actually order extra anything for you. There's just less to share it with, so take all you, take all you want. I am really, really glad that you guys are here. We're starting a new series that I am terribly excited about um, and, and nervous about as well. We just wrapped up last week, the last, uh, ser- ser- the last of the of series, uh, the, the Game of Life. Uh, that was, um, we, didn't, we didn't have, we had church, kind of, uh, but not here. How many of you guys caught that on Facebook? Did anybody else catch that? On Facebook, that was in Carlos and Michelle's uh, kitchen. That, that was a lot of fun. They were trash talking me in the other room, and I could hear them in the background. So I was only a little bit distracting while I was teaching. Uh, thankfully, uh, they're not sitting close enough to the stage that I would hear their trash talk today. Um, but we're starting this new series on, on Amos, and I got the idea from, from the series uh, by watching The Bible Project. Uh, how many of you guys are aware of The Bible Project? Um, on thebibleproject.com. Uh, I, I strongly recommend it to everybody to at least go check it out. If you've got a smart TV, uh, you can pull up YouTube on your TV. You already know that. Uh, the Bible Project uh, has a whole channel on YouTube that has nothing but animated summaries of biblical themes, and they have an, an eight-minute summary of every book in the entire Bible. Right? It's like an animated, too, so it's cartoons. I love it. Uh, like... Like, that's, that's a medium I can understand really, really easily. So um, uh, if you guys were here at Christmas Eve, some of you guys were probably, and we had been doing a series uh, on everybody around the Holy Family without actually talking about them, like everybody who was involved in the story of the birth of Jesus, and we were comparing and contrasting the different extremes of people's reaction to him. And then on Christmas Eve, we showed like a five-minute summary of the first four weeks. How many of you guys remember that video summary that we use for the Christmas Eve service, so a little more than half of us, that came from the Bible Project. So uh, I got, seriously, I'd like, you, uh, how many of you guys have the Bible app? The Bible app, it's the, by the way, that's the number one most downloaded app in the entire world, kind of cool, um, and it's free, and it's in uh, most languages. Our, oh, one of our missionaries that we support in Mongolia was the one that actually led the team of translators that made the Bible avail- available to Mongolian people in their language, free to the entire country. And by the way, in the middle of the Gobi Desert, they don't have electricity, but they do have cell phone coverage. That's the way the whole world is now. So everywhere in Mongolia, you can actually get the Bible, the Bible, the 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 the, the Bible app, people, you version, uh, the Bible people, Bible. But uh, I, I stutter a lot. Apparently, had like four mimosas this morning. Didn't think it would affect me. I'm just kidding. I was five. Um, but. 
they actually teamed up with the Bible Project. Uh, so you can actually, on your Bible app, on your cell phone, you can find the videos that they do. So I'm, I'm watching, sorry, that was way too long of a commercial for the Bible app, and they're not paying me, but dang it, they should. Um, anyway, uh, so I'm watching the video summary of, of randomly the book, the book of Amos. And um, when my son saw my notes on my desk yesterday, he goes, hey, who's, who's a mouse? I go, what? He goes, right there, who's a mouse? Because I'm the, you know, know, most deaf. You know, that's how we roll here at Grace. Um, The actor and rapper, if you don't know. But yeah, so kind of, this guy, maybe not quite as cool as most deaf, but he saw that, he's like, who's a mouse? And I I, I was like, oh my word, I have failed you as a spiritual person you know, leader that you don't know that dude's name is Amos. And I thought about it. Why do I know his name is Amos? And the only reason why I know his Amos is uh, I've just like read through the table of contents enough time. Like I've met people, famous Amos, famous Amos cookies. That's how I know the name is Amos, not a most. Who knows famous Amos cookies? It's not famous Amos cookies because that doesn't rhyme. So uh, it's famous Amos cookies, uh, but I don't know that I've ever heard a, a sermon out of this book of the Bible either. He's one of the minor prophets, uh, the lesser known prophets in the, in the Hebrew Bible. Um, and so he's not even a celebrity uh, uh, in, in Jewish synagogues because he played such a, uh, well, he's a minor prophet in that the book isn't very long, but he was a contemporary of some really cool people. You guys have heard of Jonah. With the whale, raise your hand if you've heard of Jonah. Anybody ever heard of Isaiah? He's probably like the third most popular Jewish prophet. Uh, behind, uh, uh, well, maybe second. Uh, uh, anyway, he, he, he's really up there. Uh, also, a guy named Hosea. Has anybody ever heard of Hosea? Or, or Hosea, as my son might would say it. Um, Hosea. Who's who? Hosea. Um, anyway, these, uh, the, 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 uh, Hosea and, and all these guys overlapped, and they, they lived at the same time. Um, and so what I want you to do is I'll give you about 10 minutes to find this in your Bible. It'll take you about that long. Or you can go to the table of contents at the beginning, look up the page number, and we're going to be in chapters 1 and 2 today. And as I'm watching the video summary of this guy's life, like I'm being personally convicted about things in my life that ought to change. And so I'm watching this going, holy cow, like the circumstances into which this guy comes, you know, onto this stage uh, have a lot of similarities to the circumstances in which most of us probably find ourselves now. Um, and, and like, so the times in which he lived are similar to the times in which we live. And so I, as I'm watching the video summary of, of the book of Amos, I'm seeing myself in the story. And God begins to point out things in my heart that ought to be switched. So what I'm going to be doing over the next three weeks is sharing with you guys things out of the book of Amos that I'm learning. All right, so I'm just going to get up here and share with you guys what God's doing in my heart, and I'm just going to ask you to make personal application to your own life, because I don't know what stuff you struggle with, but you're a human, so I know you struggle with stuff, and because we're probably more alike than we're not, we may be struggling with some similar things, so hopefully um, we'll all learn a little bit from what Amos had to say to the people of of his day. So if you've got your Bible, go to uh, Amos chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. Uh, And and I want to put this into history so that you know where this is at. This is in uh, 750 B.C., 
It's before the Babylonian Empire. It's, it's right on the cusp of when uh, the Assyrians uh, uh, sweep through the, the Middle East. They, they come across the Fertile, fertile Crescent uh, down into uh, Syria and then, and then through uh, uh, Judea, Palestine, that area, like modern-day uh, Israel, Lebanon, that, that area. And then they, they get all the way down close to Jerusalem, and then they stop. And then, and then Nebuchadnezzar, he's famous. And you don't have to be religious to know who that is. You just have to know a little bit about world history. And the Babylonians kind of sweep up behind them and come in and take over everything that the Assyrians had take, taken over. And then uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar gets all the way down into Egypt. So he actually goes farther than what the Assyrians did. So this is about 40 years before the Assyrians are, are coming through. Um, at this time in Jewish history, uh, we're about uh, 10 generations after David and Solomon. Uh, they're famous, King David and Solomon, the wise man. You've heard of Solomon's Temple, Knights Templar. And, you know, you've, seen, you've seen the same movies probably. that I, I'm trying to think, what's that one with Nicolas Cage? National Treasure. You've seen National Treasure, so we know who Solomon is. Um, uh, but there's about 10 generations later. After Solomon, Solomon's son was a little bit of a moron, and so there was a civil war uh, in his generation, and uh, all of the 10 of the, there's 12 tribes, 12 clans within the Jewish people, and 10 of them revolted, and then they, they never merged back again. So Israel, the Jews, became two separate Jewish nations. So for most of their history, they were two nations, so they were, and they were cousins. Sometimes they would fight with each other toward the nations around them, and sometimes they would fight against each other over, over stupid and, and petty things. So that's, that's the way it goes. So they're, they're in two separate nations. Uh, Amos is from the southern one. He's from the smaller one. It's only got two tribes, and that's Judah. And Judah always had a descendant of David on the throne. So David's descendants were always kings in that lower, that lower, that lower uh, Jewish country. But in the upper Jewish country, uh, once they split, they never had a descendant of David uh, on the throne. And so it didn't even stick with one family. So there'd be one family that would be a king for a couple of generations, and then his general would kill him and then his kids would be uh, kings for a couple of generations, and somebody else would come in and assassinate them, and and so it kind of switched the northern the northern kingdom kind of switched several several times. Well, uh, one of these times we talked about last summer in the villain series. How many of you guys remember the villains, the heroes and villain series? That was a lot of fun for me to do uh, to go over some of like the worst bad guys in history. Uh, one of them was a bad girl, and her name was Jezebel, and her husband Ahab were were horrible people, and um, Elijah had been told by God, he's a famous prophet also, uh, to come tell them uh, that their time was over, that God was done putting up with their stuff. So um, uh, one of the things that had happened was Ahab had wanted to buy uh, a vineyard next to his palace, but the guy didn't want to sell it. He shouldn't have to. He wanted to give it to his kids. Um, but Jezebel went and had him killed and then, and then stole the property from him and then gave that as a gift to her husband. And so Elijah had come in and said, uh, on the plot of ground where, where Naboth, that's the guy that they killed to get his, to get his uh, vineyard, uh, on, on, the, on the plot of ground that he died, uh, your blood, the dogs will lap up your blood from the ground, which sounded like, how, like please, like that's ever going to happen. And uh, that was also the plot of ground where uh, Jezebel uh, was 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 killed and um, so anyway uh, the guy who that God used to kill Ahab and Jezebel was a guy named Jehu and Jehu was a great guy he's one of the heroes of the Bible until like the last 25 percent of his life 
uh, I don't want to be that guy. I, do, I don't want to live well and then finish poorly. You know, anybody else like that? Like, like, so like, it, like I think it matters just as much how you finish as it is how you, how you get there. So like I, I haven't got to that part of my life yet. So I'm, I mean, I've still got, I've still got work to do. Um, but, it, but he ended poorly. And at the end of his life, he allowed uh, uh, idol worship. And, and the kind of idol worship that existed in Israel before the Jews came in was a kind of idol worship that was very satanic, where, where they would, it was like violent sexual abuse of people. And, and then they would offer their children alive. They would burn them alive on, on altars set up to these demon gods. And that kind of stuff was creeping back into Israel, and, and Jehu wasn't stopping it. So uh, God had told uh, uh, an, an, an another, another prophet to come in and tell him, listen, like, like because you did what I wanted you to do, I'm, I'm going to allow you to stay king, and then four more generations can be king, but then, then you're done. Like, I'm, I'm only letting you do this temporary to the fourth generation, and after the fourth generation, your family is going to be wiped out. Uh, and, and so it is, uh, his son um, then uh, becomes even worse than his dad. And so God allows the Syrians, the people from Damascus, just north of Jerusalem, to kind of come in. And the Bible says that God raises up Damascus uh, to kind of put them in their place. So because God loves them, he was disciplining them and just wanted to get their attention. Because the truth is, when things are going great in our life, we, we, we ignore God. We just do. We're all set. But like, let you get cancer, and, and now you're praying like crazy, right? Let you lose your job. Now, or, or, or let the person that you love abandon you, and now all of a sudden God has our attention. And I'm not saying that, that God brings cancer. I'm not, I'm not saying like anything like that, because I, I don't think that, that that's a result of living in a sin-cursed world. I don't think that, that God would give you that. It's just a part of living in a broken, screwed up, fallen sick world uh, that, 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 that we get stuff like this. But what I'm saying is that when things get tough on us is when we're most likely to give more of our attention. Would you agree with that or do we need to go into more? more like we're, we're on the same page, right? So God had actually sent the people from Syria, Damascus down uh, to, to like grab their attention, but they, they took it too far. And the Bible says that God raised up a man to deliver them, but his name isn't given in 2 Kings chapter 12. But in 2 Kings chapter 14, so that guy, so Jehu's son is a bad guy. The, the people from Damascus come down and, and they start attacking him, but they go too far. God raises up a deliverer. Two chapters later, that man's grandson is the king. His name is Jeroboam II. You can Wikipedia him if you want. But the Bible says uh, that God raises him up to be the king because it was at his hands that God had rescued the, 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 uh, the nation of Israel. So it's my opinion that Jeroboam was that guy, just like his great-granddad, Jehu, that God had sent to rescue the people. So, so Jeroboam and, and Amos are the two main characters uh, in, in the book of Amos. That's why I went into So now you know who Jeroboam is. Jeroboam is, is the, the grandson, the, the great-grandson, excuse me, of, of Jehu. And, and he starts off really good, just like his great-granddad starts off really good. And, and so he starts, and all of the nations around Israel that have been kind of like persecuting them, um, he's able to kick out of their, their property and re 
reestablished their boundaries. And the Bible says that he even expands it farther than it had ever been. So under Jeroboam's rule, uh, Israel as a nation grows larger geographically than at any other time in their history. Homeboy is kicking butt and taking names and, and they're being blessed and everything's going awesome and, and they're wealthy and, and they're successful and their wealth becomes a spiritual distraction to them. And, and so when I'm, when I'm reading this, I'm going, oh my word, just like us. Like truthfully, I think here in this country, uh, it's so like it doesn't cost you anything to be to call yourself a Christian here. Like in other countries, you call yourself you're Christian, and you can be marched out to a beach and, and be killed. Here it doesn't cost us anything. So because it didn't cost us anything, it means very little to us. Everybody calls themselves Christian. But come on. Really? Like I, we know people who say they're Christian. <laughs> And my BS radar, can I say I have a BS radar? I have a BS radar. You have a BS radar. It's just ding, 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 ding. Anybody else have one of those? Or is that just me? Oh, please, don't act like I'm the only pagan in the room. All right? Like when, like when people, there's a lot of people, right, who, who, who do that. So it doesn't, it doesn't cost us. So like they're in that place where like, like everything's going great and God has forgotten about. And it says that he became a wicked and evil king. Like he started off so good. I mean, he had a chance to take the nation of Israel back to where it ought to be. Uh, but just like his, his great-grandfather, he let it get bad, but, but even worse. And, and truthfully, he was worse than his father and his grandfather. In fact, each one of Jehu's sons, the Bible says, became more evil than the dad in front of them. Like the evil just keeps compounding in this family. And finally, God's had enough, and he sends Sends Amos. So that's where we're at. Amos chapter 1. Uh, and, and homeboy's been sent to tell everybody that God's about to kick butt and take names. Uh, Amos chapter 1 verse 1. This message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. Not even from Israel. So Judah was the lower nation. Uh, Israel was the, the upper nation. Uh, in in non-biblical sources, uh, Israel is referred to as Samaria. And the reason why, so like when you, when you read like history books and it talks about Samaria, Area, that's, that's what the Jews would refer to as just Israel, but the nations around them referred to that country as Samaria because that was the name of their capital city, was, was Samaria. So, um, but he wasn't from Samaria, from Israel, he was from Judah, uh, because apparently there was nobody in Samaria that, God, that, that was available for God to use. And, and what I love is that he uses a guy who's not even a professional religious person. He's, he's not a priest. He's not a temple servant in Jerusalem in, in, in the temple. That, that's not what he does at all. He's, he's a shepherd uh, is, is what it says. And in chapter 7, it says that he's also a farmer. He's got sycamore fig trees that he takes care of. So, but but, 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 but he, he fit the qualifications. So when you read the entire Bible, Bible, you see that God uses people who, whose hearts are clean, meaning that when they, when they sin, they, they repent of it. They let it go. They change their lifestyle. They, like it, it, it brings them sorrow enough that they now begin to obey God's word for their life. So, uh, uh, so the people that you see that God uses are people whose hearts are clean, uh, uh, who live obediently and make themselves available. Like they'll take chances on things that God tells them to take chances on. So the, the, the one person that fit that qualification at this time in history was a farmer. So if that's all God's got to work with to go speak to a king, 
then that's what God will use. So he grabs this farmer and, and he gives him a message, which had to have been scary because he's not even from the same nation as Jeroboam. And Jeroboam is very powerful and he's got, it's like the, the army for Israel is, is now probably larger than it ever had been because of how much territory they had to maintain and, and, and the way that they had, had fought against all of their neighbors and had won. So even the, the, the fighting people were very experienced. I mean, like these, these guys are like battle hardened. They got, they got scars and stuff like this. And then you got a farmer who's got to go confront all of these people. That had to, that had to be terrifying. Like if I'm that guy, that like you'd have to know for sure this is what God wants you to do before you do, do it. And, and that's who he is. So he's, he's from the town of Tekoa. This town still exists today. It's in the West Bank. Uh, you'll find it on Wikipedia as Tukut. T-U-Q-U uh, is the name of it. And then the, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the Palestinian settlement. And right next to it, uh, there's a new settlement actually named Tekoa because it's in the same area. Uh, so this message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake. Kind of neat that they referenced that earthquake because that earthquake is also referenced in five other uh, non-biblical sources uh, at this same time period. Kind of cool uh, for, for like for skeptics, possibly, who look for extra reason to believe the historical narrative of the Bible to be accurate. And by the way, everything that's ever been found in archaeology or in literature has only confirmed the biblical narrative. There's not a piece of historical evidence anywhere in the world that contradicts a single detail of the Bible. Kind of cool, this earthquake is one of them. Back at it. Uh, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam the second son of Joash, uh, Jehoash uh, was king of Israel. And this is what he saw and heard. And the rest of the book is a collection of, of poems um, and, and stories. Uh, so this is the first poem that he writes. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The lush pastures of the shepherds will dry up. The grass on Mount Carmel will wither and die. And, and that's probably not the most effective way to win over a crowd uh, when you walk up is, is God's about to roar and he's bringing the thunder. And nowadays it'd be like God's about to bring the lumber and open up a can of whoop tail on you. That's essentially what Amos had been sent to said. To, to say, like, like, God's tired of whispering to them, and he's done with that. And they've had chances, they've had, they've had generations now to get their crap together, and they haven't done it. And, and the entire story of, of, of the, the Jewish people is a lot like our own individual lives, where God rescues us from Egypt, or God rescues us from our, our, our sinful past, right? Our slavery to sin. The Bible says that we're born slaves to the sin that was in our heart the day that we were, we were born. He rescues us from that, and, and we take for granted everything that God has done for us, and and then, and then we turn our backs on them, and then, and, then, and then we get caught. And then what do we do? Dear God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then God forgives us again, and then things start going good, and then we forget about them again, and then we become stupid morons again. And am I only telling my story, or am I telling your story too? Right? And then like, I'm a, I, I get caught, and I'm like, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then, then God rescues me and forgives me, and then my entire life is a series of me losing my flipping mind, and God rescuing me in, in spite of me being a moron. Right? And God giving me, how many of you guys appreciate the fact that God's a God of second chances? But how many of you guys would say 30 and 40 chances? Anybody else? Like, I keep struggling with, does anybody else still struggle with the same stupid stuff you've been struggling with for years? Am I the only one who's, I still step in the same pile of dog poop every single day? You would think I would know where it is and I'd step around it. But homeboy, like, I, don't, I got like a radar to it. I, I step in. The thing is, is that when I do, I just need to hurry up and wipe that off my shoes. I shouldn't get all squishy in it, right? Um, and that's, 
metaphorically speaking, that's a whole lot like sin. Yes or no? And the problem for us is that it doesn't stink anymore. We become nose blind to it. But God never did. Right? Now, God knew that we would step in sin. That's why he created a way for us to be made right with him in spite of it. But he's never intended us to take advantage of his forgiveness, of his mercy. And at this point in human history, the Jews were at that point. And God says, all right, if, if I need, like, whatever this is, is going to stop. Like, I'm, I'm done with this. How many of you guys have ever had a mom walk in and say that? She goes, I don't know what this is right now, but we are not having this anymore. How many of you guys are mamas and you've had to say that? How many of you guys have a mama and she said that? Like, there are just points in a kid's life where they need somebody to step in their life and say, listen, like, like I, I respect you and I love you. And it's because I love you, I'm about to whoop your stinking tail. Like, like, what, like, whatever this is, is going to stop. Like, I love you too much to be an idiot any longer. So whatever I got to do to get your attention, this is it. Are you listening to me? Hey, are you listening to me? If I got to roar like a freaking lion, I will roar like a freaking lion. And if I got to bring the thunder, baby, I'm going to bring it. That's what Amos says. God is saying, I will roar like a lion and I'm going to bring the thunder. You paying attention yet? Because all of Israel now, like God has their attention. Amos steps up to the plate. This is what God says. I am done letting you keep going this direction. Here's the next thing he says. This is what the Lord says. The people of Damascus have sinned again and again. And right then, Israel and Judah were like, I thought he's bringing the lumber against me. Ha -ha! He's going against Damascus. Yeah. Like they, they, don't, they, they know who Damascus is. Jeroboam specifically knows who Damascus is because that's how Jeroboam got his comeuppance. Like that's, 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 where, he like, that's where he like made himself. When his grandfather was king, it was Jeroboam that had pushed back Syria from Damascus. Their capital was Damascus. They had been sent by God to correct the nation of Israel, but they took it way too far. And Jeroboam was most likely the guy that God had used to push them back. But now, like, like God's finally, finally going to put things into order. And, and I don't know how many of us have ever been in that place where something evil has happened in our lives and it felt like they got away with it. Does anybody have a situation where you feel like there's somebody out there in the world right now who's a very bad person who's gotten away with it? Raise your hand if you know somebody like that. We all, we all know people like that. Somebody said, I believe it was Rudyard Kipling who, who, who wrote that the, the, the wheels of God's justice grind slowly, but they grind fine. Right? So it's like it's two generations later, but God hasn't forgotten. See, God... God knows what's happening, and he's about to bring the lumber. God is a God of wrath, and I believe he's a God of wrath because he is good, because a good God that overlooks injustice is not good at all, right? How can you be good and ignore evil? Like a good cop would not be somebody who would walk by a crime and not do anything. Are you with me? Like the essence of good is that you resist evil. It's not just that you proactively do nice things. It's that you stop bad things from happening. So if God is good, then he must be a God of wrath on everything that is evil. Yes or no? He can't be good and ignore injustice in the world. 
So while it might not happen in our time, it will happen in time. And now it's about to happen. So Amos shows up and he says, God's been paying attention. He saw what Damascus did. The people of Damascus have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They beat down my people in Gilead as grain is threshed with iron sledgehammers. That's not how you thresh wheat. You thresh wheat by throwing it up in the air and then the wind blows the, the, the chaff away and then the, the grains of wheat fall down. Like that's, that's how you do it. Well, like, like a rake type of an instrument. You, would talk, you, don't, you don't thresh wheat with a stinking sledgehammer. That's overkill. But that's the metaphor that God uses to describe how abusive Damascus was in coming down and pushing back Israel. He said, you beat, like, I, like, I sent you to do this. And you were horrible, like, like, and some of us, honestly, like, we're right in responding to things, but we take it way too far. You know what I'm saying? We let our anger, our self-righteousness, or our pride, we don't, we don't just, like, put people in their place. We squash them, humiliate them. And some of you guys are sitting very still right now. <laughs> don't nudge the person next to you, even if it's them right now at all, because you will hear about it in the car. Right? So some of us are like this. And God says, I'm not going to let them, I'm, I'm done. But the phrase that he uses is, the people of Damascus have sinned again and again. And that's how it's translated in my English translation. But the Jewish phrase here is that they have, they have, transgr- they have, they have made three transgressions and now a fourth. And it's a Jewish idiom which means you've done it long enough, no more. So that's where God had gotten. He said three transgressions and now a fourth. I'm done. I've let you slide, I've let you slide, I gave you chances, I gave you chances, I gave you chances, no more chances, this ends now. And no doubt, Judah and Israel, absolutely, and they deserve it, and they did. Next phrase, next place is in verse 6, this is what the Lord says, the people of Gaza that's, the, that's Philistia. So he starts off in north, northeast of Israel, and now he's in Gaza, which is the southwest, and that's where uh, Philistines, and you might remember the Philistines from Goliath. Remember that? That, that was like 10 generations earlier. So it, was, it was like uh, 300, actually it was like 350 years earlier uh, when, when Goliath had been from the city of Gaza and, and Gath and Akron, and there's a, there's a few other cities there that were all a part of the, the Philistines, and so that's when he's, the people of Gaza have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sent whole villages into exile, selling them as slaves to Edom. And, and what God had against them is not just that they had conquered other people and made them work for them for free. Um, that, that's, that's, that's one kind of slavery. And, 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 and the Jews, when they, when, they, when they would come in and they would conquer a people, they were also allowed to make uh, those conquered people work for them for free. But the Torah gave them very specific guidelines on what they could do and what they couldn't do with a slave, with a conquered person. Um, and, 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 and for that time in human history, the Jews were the only ones who used restraint uh, with the conquered people that they had made into slaves. But that's not what Gaza had done. What Gaza was doing is they were sending raiding parties into Israel, kidnapping whole villages of people and selling them like cattle. And that had always been hated by God. That was never allowed. Never like instead of killing people, you could make them your slaves. You could make them work for you when you took over people. But then there were rules on how you had to treat them if you were a devoted follower of God. But that's not what Gaza was doing. They were taking, fa- like they were, 
they treated people like cattle. And God says, I've seen what you're doing. You're kidnapping families and you're auctioning them off to the highest bidder. I'm, I'm done. Like, you, you've sinned three times and now a fourth. I, like, I, I've been giving you chances. No more. We're done with this. All of Israel and Judah is happy about this. They're, they're thrilled. Uh, then the next verse, verse 9, uh, the next place is where it comes to the people of Tyre. They've sinned again and again. I will not let them go unpunished. They broke their treaty of brotherhood with Israel, selling whole villages of, of, of slaves to Edom. And, and so they were doing the same thing that Gaza had done, but what made theirs worse is that they were shaking Israel's hand with one hand, and then they were stabbing them in the back with the other. Like, you had a treaty of brotherhood. Like, you guys were like, you had a relationship built on common interests. And the truth is, is that you don't have to share a common faith to be a decent person. So they weren't worshipers of the one true God like Israel was supposed to be, but they, could, they still had a relationship with them. And, and the truth is, I, I do have people in Stoughton that are Muslims that I'm, that I'm friends with. I mean, like, we're not close because of access. Uh, we don't live on the same street. If we did, I believe that we'd be a lot, we have a lot closer. But we don't have to, we don't, we don't have to believe the same to be, to be decent people. Right? Like, like, truthfully, I have more friends that would probably classify themselves as atheists. And my atheist friends talk about Jesus way more than my Christian friends do. It's just true. But you don't have to believe what I believe for me to be a decent person to you, right? So they, they had that kind of relationship with the people of Tyre. This is Phoenicia. Now this is the northwest side of, of Israel. Um, and, and, and so he says, I'm, I'm done with you guys. And the prophet Ezekiel prophesied against Tyre also and said that there'd be a day when their entire city would be scraped off like a bald rock and fishermen would spread their nets on it to dry in the sun, which sounded like an insane prophecy because at this time in history, um, actually the people of Tyre, it was an island city uh, that was just off the coast in modern-day Lebanon, and then um, it had walls all the way around it. It had a northern port that was used by everybody in the Mediterranean, and it had a southern port that was used more, more, more by them for strategic purposes. And the idea of saying that this city would be scraped bald would be like walking into New York City and saying that someday this will be completely vacant and overgrown with woods and wild animals will be running through Manhattan. It's just like that's, like, that's only going to happen in that Will Smith movie about zombies. That's not going to happen anywhere else. Like, that just, that just can't happen. And, and what's really crazy <clears throat> is that uh, 600 years later, uh, Alexander the Great came through there and, um, to build a land bridge between uh, the city of Tyre and, and, and the mainland. He, he destroyed all of the buildings on top of that island and used the rubble from that to make that land bridge. And it's been scraped off. And even today, uh, fishermen will use the, the rock that that island used to be to spread their nets on to... To, to dry in, in the sun, kind of crazy. So God kept, again, God kept his promise, uh, just not, when, like, not in their time, but, but in time, he, he kept that promise. Then the next country to get it is the people of Edom. Uh, the people of Edom, Edom are actually descendants of Esau. Uh, Esau is the brother of Jacob. Jacob is the guy who was renamed Israel. All 12 tribes of Israel come, are the 12 sons 
of Jacob. Jacob's brother is Esau. So all of his descendants were known as Edomites. These are their cousins. Uh, these, these cousins were, and they had always been jealous of the descendants of, of Jacob. They, they hated them. And so when the Jews left Egypt and came into the promised land, they asked permission to go through the land of Edom. But Edom, out of jealousy and pettiness, said, said no, go around. So they did. They respected their boundaries and went around. But when God gave them a king, King Saul came back in. By the way, Edom had constantly been just like jabbing at them from across the border and just like doing raids and killing them. And, and, and Solomon, or excuse me, King Saul, the first king of Israel, kind of pushed them back. And then King David conquered them and made them start paying taxes uh, to, the, to a Jewish nation for the way that they had been treating uh, the Jews ever, ever since that they, they had gotten out of Egypt. Uh, six generations later, six kings later, uh, they revolt and had been murdering them ever since. So now we're four generations after that. And then God comes up to them and this is what God says to them through, through Amos. The people of Edom have sinned again and again. I will not let them go unpunished. They chased down their own relatives, the Israelites, with swords, showing them no mercy. In their rage, they slashed them continually. The Romans wiped them out permanently in A.D. 70. There's nobody alive in the world who's a descendant of this nation now. They're completely, like, they're an extinct people group. Like, they've, they've all been wiped out, and, and that happened by the Romans, in, like I said, in, in AD, A.D. 70. But it was their, their uncontrollable rage. Like, they just, they could never be okay with anything. Like, they were constantly filled with hate, and God says, I'm, I'm done with that. Like, you've, you've, you've not worked on that. Like, like, you've had chances and chances. And, and by the way, why is God sending Amos to warn them? If God didn't care about any of those neighboring nations, he would have just squashed them. Why did he send them a warning? So that they would have a chance to do what? To change. I love that about God. Like, if he, all of this, this like, even in the wrath of God, there's mercy. Right? God says, I will not let injustice continue any longer. And this is what's about to happen. Now, God had said that to other nations and other kings in Jewish history all throughout history. And then when they repented, when they changed their life, when they, when they stopped doing what God had criticized them over, and they repented, they obeyed, they changed, and they started doing what was right, the Bible says that God relented of the punishment he was going to send. So it's not a predetermined thing, but it is predetermined that because of this, this is going to happen. Now I'm giving you a warning so that you've got one more, even then, they get one more chance, one more chance to stop. The people of Ammon, the next two people groups are the Ammonites and the Moabites. The Ammonites and the Moabites were the two sons of Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham, who had, who had, had babies through an inappropriate relationship in a cave. Uh, you can read that story in, in Genesis. But they are very distant relatives of the Jewish people. Um, the people of Ammon have sinned again and again. I'll not let them go unpunished. When they attacked Gilead to extend their borders, they ripped open pregnant women with their swords. Can you imagine being part of the Jewish people when that was happening and you're just saying to yourself, like, where's God? Like, have you ever like, had like the poop at the fan? Like it didn't look like it was going to get any better and it caused you not to believe in God? Somebody close to you died. You never went back to church again. Right? Because God, you felt, wasn't paying attention. And he was all along. 
God notices. And because God is a God of love, He's a God of wrath. And He will take care of it, not in your time, but in time. He's keeping score. He knows what they did to you. They will not get away with it forever. The Bible says in the New Testament that the only, God is not slack concerning His promises, but is only waiting to give them more chances to repent. But see, the Jewish people didn't want them to get a chance to repent, just like I don't want God to give people who've hurt me in my past a chance to repent. I don't want them to turn their hearts towards God and then be blessed by God. I want God to freaking squash them. I want God to be a God of wrath to everybody else in the world, but be a God of love to me. Because I hate the sin in everybody else. I just ignore the sin in my life. Right? Am I the only one who's like this? That's exactly where they were. Because he gets to the Moabites. He says the same thing to them. People of Moab have sinned again and again. I'll not let them go unpunished. And their sin was that they had desecrated, desecrated the bones, the, the, the graves of, of, of their, their kings, that they had, that's what they had done. And it's not the only thing that they had done. Um, you, you may know the story of Ehud, the, the guy with the, the, the gimpy right arm who was the left-handed. We, we covered him in our hero stories last, last summer. Uh, God had used, used Ehud uh, to rescue them from Moab. Uh, you might know the story of Balaam and the donkey in the Bible. Uh, that was because the Moabites had hired Balaam to prophesy against the people of God. And he said, I'll only say what God tells me to say. And he kept blessing them and it was driving the Moabites crazy and that's and that's those are the six Gentile nations that God judges and and Israel and Judah are both hoping that it's over like like now Amos has like said what he had to say maybe he'll just like like keep on going and wrap this sermon up um, but here's what he says next uh, verse 4 of chapter 2 this is what the Lord says the people of Judah have sinned again and again that's that southern nation and, and, and I will not let them go. You, you've sinned three times and now a fourth. And I'm stinking done. Wait, 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 wait. What in the world have we done? We've never ripped open baby, like pregnant women. Like, like we didn't like thresh wheat with a stinking sledgehammer. Like we weren't cruel towards people. We didn't torture them. Like we didn't, we didn't like what have we done? And here's what God says. You have, this is what. They have rejected the instruction of the Lord, refusing to obey his decrees. They've been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors. So I will send down fire, judgment on Judah. All the fortresses of Jerusalem will be destroyed. And when I look at their sin and I look at the sins of the Gentile nations, it's completely different to me. I'm like, all they did was refuse to follow the instructions of God and they lived disobediently to his commands. They didn't rip open the stomachs of pregnant women. And God says, I've, it's your heart. And truthfully, he holds his kids to a higher standard. Right? They were held to greater accountability because he had given them more responsibility. And that's what a good dad does. Like on our street, on Seaver Street in Stoughton, there's kids all over the place. What would it take for me to get onto a kid who lived down the street? He's going to have to do something pretty egregious. And that's not even a word I use very much. But if that kid gets all super fresh, I'm going to say something, yes or no. Yes or no. But I'm not going to, like, like if that kid doesn't say ma'am or sirs, like rude, I'm not going to, like, because they're not my kid. But with my kid, like, I can, I can smell rebellion in them real quick. What's that? Hey, hey, 
But like a kid starts getting fresh, starts talking back, like I'm going to put the kibosh on that real quick. Am I right? How many of you guys had a mama or a daddy like that? Like they could smell rebellion coming. What is that that smell? That's not rebellion. That's burrito. I promise. That's all that. Like that's, like, do I saw, what would you say? Nothing. Nothing. I would never say to a neighbor kid, what'd you say? Because why? That kid ain't what? He ain't my kid. Right? But like, but my kid, I am going to hold to a higher standard. Why? Because my kid knows better. Somebody said, Christians don't sin like non-Christians do. You're right. Theirs is worse. Christians don't have an excuse. We have the Spirit of God in our life. We have an advantage. We have a cheat code. We, how many of you guys remember old-fashioned Microsoft Word when that little clippy dude would come up? Are you writing a resume? You know, that's a great... <laughs> have you guys just thought of that Office episode when Daryl was trying to write a... Did anybody? I'm the only one who thought of the Office when I brought up the clippy guy. Okay, one other person in the back room. Thank you for your backup. I, I appreciate it. But we've got that clippy guy in our heart. Like, are, are, are you about to lust? No, no, I wasn't about to lust. Or were, you, were you about to lie? No, no, no. Were you, were you about... Like, that's, that's the Holy Spirit in my heart, Right? And so for me to step into sin, not only have I broken my own conscience, I've rebelled against the Spirit of God at work in my heart. And God says, you think just because you're comparing your sins to everybody else's and yours aren't as bad to everybody else that I'm okay with it. And truthfully, all of us have a little bit of disobedience in our life that we don't intend to change at all and we've completely rationalized away why it's okay. Why it's still okay for me to disobey God with my finances. While it's still okay for me to look at porn. While it's still okay for me not to serve my wife. Oh, it got real quiet in here. <laughs> you guys are like, keep going, preacher. Keep moving. Like, see, all of us got little pet sins in our heart that we got no intention of changing because it's not like I'm they would have said ripping open pregnant women what's and then you just bring up something that somebody who's not a devoted follower of Jesus does but that isn't who you're being compared to God says if you're my kid I'm predetermined to conform you into the image of my son and I will not stop until you live love give and serve the way he lived love gave and served and we'll do it in all areas but one or two and then God says three times you've done it and now a fourth and I'm telling you, at some point, God's going to reach the end with each one of us, and he's going to bring out the stinking lumber. Because if God is a good God, he cannot let his kids keep ruining their lives and running away. He loves you exactly like you are. It's just that he loves you too much to leave you there. And he ain't going to let up. And he's going to keep chasing you down until you humble yourself and repent of your selfishness, your greed, and your sin, and turn back to him. And I'm telling you, he might be whispering right now, but he's going to roar at some point just to get your attention. Why? Because he loves you. That's why. Then he gets to the Jews in, in Israel, and he says to them, and I don't get to unpack all of this, 
But what he does is he exposes three different areas of sin in their life. And the rest of the book is written to those. Like he, he'll address Judah again, the southern, the southern Jewish country. Uh, but the rest of the book is mainly written to the northern Jewish country, uh, Samaria, is Israel. And then he said he exposes three areas of sin in their heart. And he reminds them of the goodness in God's past. Like, Does that not mean anything for you? That God's done all this for you? Like, it's kind of like you've forgotten what God forgave you of. It's like you've forgotten all the blessings that God has put in your life. Because if you don't change, this is where your life is headed. Now, why is God telling them this? Not because he's a jerk, but because he's warning. Like, there's a kid walking in the middle of the street, and I see cars coming. It don't have to be my kid. I'm going to yell at that kid. I'm going to walk out there. I'm going to grab that kid by the arm. I'm going to yank that kid's arm socket out if that's what i got to do to put that kid out of the street. Yes or no? Now, that kid might cry and think I was being a jerk. But I did that out of love. I'm trying, to get, like, I'm trying to spare that kid's life. And that's the motivation behind all of God's wrath. It's like, there's only so much of your crap I can put up with. And I've been put up with this, this, this much for this long just to give you more chances. But I'm telling you, there's a day coming where I'm not putting up with it anymore. And why am I telling you that? Why did you come today? So that God can tell you there's coming a day where he's not going to put up with it anymore. Why would he want you to know what Amos has to say? So that you can stop now, two years from now, some of you guys are going to be in a place where you're going to wish you could come back to this service and make different choices. But you're not going to be able to do that. And you're not going to be able to blame God for all the crap that's landed all over your life because he gave you this chance right now today to clean it up. And he didn't. That's why he said, Amos, not just to them, but to me. He said, Amos, here for you. Shape up. Someday you'll wish you did. So here's what he says. He talks to them about their injustice. And all of us, there's some people we're cruel to. And then he talks about their immorality. And while their immorality was very specific, yours is too, it's just different. And then he talks to them again about their idolatry. And the truth is, there are some things that you worship more than God. You know what it is? It's the thing in your life you won't give to him. That's what you worship more than God. So I'll read it. Here's what he says. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. People who, who use their sandals as a guarantee for, sandals as a guarantee for debt. They become so wealthy, they became abusive to those who were poor. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At their religious festivals, they lounge in clothing. Their debtors put up as security. In the house of their gods, they drink wine bought with unjust fines. He said, this is what you guys have done. You're just mean. You're mean. You're immoral. Like you, you do things that you know transgress not only my law, but your conscience. And you won't give me all of you. That's the problem. Do, do you forget who gave you what you have? That's the next passage of Scripture where he says, But as my people watched, I destroyed the Amorites, though they were as tall as cedars and as strong as oats. I destroyed the fruit on their branches and dug out their roots. Do you not remember that? It was I who rescued you from Egypt and led you through the desert for 40 years so that you could possess the land that you live in now. Do you not remember that? I chose some of your sons to be prophets and others to be Nazarites. Can you deny this, my people of Israel? 
Can you deny this? But what have you done with my blessings? Here's what you've done with my blessings. But you caused the Nazarites to sin by making them drink wine, and you commanded the prophets to shut up. So here's what will happen. I'm going to allow you to feel the full consequence of your rebellion against me. I will make you groan like a wagon loaded down with sheaves of grain. Your fastest runners will not get away. Your mighty warriors will be unable to save you, and there'll be no escape. If you want to keep going this direction, I'll let you get there. I'm going to stop preventing you from feeling the consequences of your bad choices. If you refuse to soften your heart, I'll let you get what you've chosen. But it doesn't have to be that way. Now, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. Maybe you're like those other nations. Or, and here's what I love. Here's one of the things I learned about this, that you don't have to believe in God, and that doesn't change whether or not you're accountable to him. Those other Gentile nations around Israel were not followers of God, but they were still accountable to him. And what you believe about that doesn't change any of that. I was born in Pensacola, Florida, and I don't care if you believe that or not. What you believe about where I was born doesn't change where I was born. If there is a God, you are accountable to him. And what you believe about that will not change any of it. And God doesn't tell you that so that you will be afraid of him. He tells you that so that you will turn to him. That's what he wants. He warned the Gentile nations because even though they did not worship him, he wanted them to turn to him. He gave them a chance. He gave them a chance. And he's giving you the same chance to turn from your disobedience towards him, your selfishness towards others, and accept the only payment he offers that will pay off your debt before him, the life of his son, Jesus. And for those of us who've already come to that place, a lot of us, we've forgotten what God's done. We act like it doesn't mean anything to us. Because we've allowed sin to creep back up into our heart. We act like it's not that big of a deal because it's not as bad as fill in the blank. But God says, I'm paying attention to your heart too. We want God to judge everybody else. We just don't want him to judge us. But the same God over them is the same God over us. And he has different expectations for us because we're his kids. And I wonder how many of us were at that place where he said, three times now, and now it's the fourth. I'm done. I'm done. You can't keep going this direction anymore. I will not let you. And if I have to roar, I will roar. And if I have to bring the thunder, I will bring the thunder. And if I have to open up a can of whooptail on your butt, I will open up a can of whooptail. Why? Because I love you. Stop running and turn back. I can't do that for you. Only you can. So let's pray. God, I'm thankful for Amos, some random farmer who kept his heart clean, who obeyed you and did what you wanted him to do and helped to change the world. God, I know that there were other people throughout history who said things to your people that did not get recorded in the scriptures because it wasn't for us. This is in the Bible because it's for us too. God, we act like the sin that is in our heart is no big deal to you because it's not as bad as what we see in others around us. But truthfully, God, the sin in our heart is worse because we know better. Your Holy Spirit has convicted us and shown us over and over and over again that this needs to stop. And we have not repented we have, because we have not obeyed you. Repentance isn't saying, I'm sorry. It's changing. 
God, help us not just to be sorry, but to repent, to turn away, to let go of the things that we've allowed to come back into our life. Show us the area in our life right now, God, where we are in disobedience to you. And if you're a devoted follower of Jesus, I believe that the Holy Spirit's job is to show you that area. What is it? What is the one area of your life as a follower of Jesus where you know you are in disobedience to God and you know God's getting to that place where he's saying three times and now a fourth. Listen, when are we going to be done with this? What is it? And you let God know whether or not you're done with it. Maybe you're not a devoted follower of Jesus and you think God hates you or that he's not there, he's not paying attention and you're wrong. Amos shows up to let you know God notices. He sees injustice. Not just the injustices that have done against you, but also the injustices in your own heart. And God holds us accountable, but because he's a God of love, he gives you an opportunity to be rescued also. God, I'm sorry. Take away the sin that is in my heart. Give me a new heart, a clean, fresh start. I want to give my life to you, and I'm asking you for help to do that. Make that your prayer. God, I pray that you're pleased by the attitude, direction, and prayers of our heart. We ask this in your great name, Jesus, and we all say together, amen.